what's better in life than a bottle of wine, great food, and an amazing conversation? My name is Kate Sullivan, and I am the host of To Dine For. I'm a journalist, a foodie, a traveler with an appetite for the stories of people who are hungry for more. Dreamers, visionaries, artists, those who hustle hard in the direction they love. I travel with them to their favorite restaurant to hear how they did it. This show is a toast to them and their American dream. Thank you to the sponsors of To Dine For The Podcast, American National and Spiritless. To Dine For The Podcast is brought to you by American National, offering a broad suite of insurance solutions to protect what matters most to you. For 115 years, American National has remained committed to helping people and communities make a real difference in their lives. American National supports great local community organizations led by the kind of people you hear about on To Dine For, people who are inspired to make a difference and inspire others in return. American National's philosophy is helping where it's needed helps us all. For a description of the American National companies, the products they write, and the states in which they're licensed, visit americannational.com dine. Spiritless supports the conscientious cocktailer who wants to live fully but drink differently. Their signature Kentucky 74 is a distilled non-alcoholic spirit for your favorite bourbon cocktails. It's zero alcohol zero guilt, and just 15 calories per serving. Whether you go completely spiritless or go halfsies with a foolproof bourbon to lower the ABV in your cocktail, you can get your bottle today at spiritless.com. Use promo code TODINEFOR to get free shipping. Welcome to To Dine For The Podcast, where we meet the world's most creative and innovative minds at their favorite restaurant. On today's episode is sommelier and champion for resilience, Victoria James. So I thought that it would become too much when it came out, uh, that they would start maybe these conversations that people were uncomfortable having. And I was surprised by how much that was not true, that these conversations were overdue. Victoria has worked in restaurants since she was a kid and fell in love with the hospitality industry along the way. At 21, she became the country's youngest certified sommelier. And today, she's the beverage director at Michelin-starred Cote in New York City. But there's more to Victoria than her accomplishments as a top tastemaker. Her best-selling memoir, Wine Girl, traces her struggles that could have set her back but didn't. She pushed ahead through the boys' club of the hospitality industry, and now she's hoping to transform it. Today, we speak about the restaurant experience, sexism, and overcoming adversity. Please enjoy my interview with Victoria James. Victoria, thanks so much for doing this and being on To Dine For the podcast. I so appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited. I'm going to start the way I always start, which is talking about people's favorite restaurant. I really believe that food tells a story. And, you know, it's it's funny because I don't always interview people in the hospitality industry. In fact, I very rarely do. So it's a real treat to be able to interview you, who has spent your entire life in the hospitality industry and knows great wine and great restaurants. So where would you take me as your favorite spot? Well, Kate, you know, I'm very fortunate in that I've been to so many great restaurants all over the world. And now more so than ever, I think it's important to support the little guys, especially during the pandemic. And one of my favorite New York City restaurants that I think is absolutely quintessential deliciousness is called King. Ironically, it's run by three women. 
and they worked at the River Cafe previously in London and Mm -hmm. it just feels like you're in the south of France uh, or the Italian countryside the food is honest and simple and beautiful and the wine list is uh, really speaks to a sense of place and purpose. It is in between West Village and Soho correct? Yes, yeah, it's on the 6th 6th Avenue Riviera, as I like to say. Okay, so I used to live at 6th Avenue in Downing, and I used to live literally (laughs) two blocks from King. It wasn't King then, but it's my old haunt, it's my old neighborhood, so I know exactly where it is. I can't wait to try it. Yes, yes. So before we dive into your memoir, Wine Girl, which I believe just came out in paperback like this week, right? Correct. Yes. (laughs) This week. Before we dive into that, which is fantastic, I really want you to take me back to who you were in high school and how the love of hospitality and the restaurant business really began. Where did that start? So growing up, we didn't have a lot of money. And, you know, I, when I was 13 living in New Jersey, I started looking for a job just purely for financial reasons and stumbled into this greasy spoon, you know, under the railroad tracks in New Jersey. You know, I started working at this diner and I quickly found that there was more to hospitality than just serving food. Mm -hmm. It was kind of a place where I felt like I belonged and at school, I didn't really fit in. Kids made fun of me. And at home, it was it was a very difficult home life. So this was sort of the one place where I felt like I could belong and, 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 and be myself. And so from there, I started bartending in, in college and then went down the sommelier rabbit's hole. But really, in, in high school is where I found that sense of place. You know, it's funny because people have so many misconceptions, I think, about wine. And there are so many walls of exclusivity around wine, right? It is the ultimate sign of power in some respects around the uh, restaurant industry. And what I loved about your book is you come from humble roots, I think it's fair to say, but yet what was obvious is just your sheer passion for wine, your thirst for knowledge, pardon the pun, and (laughs) your ability to be voracious about learning. And you were going, and it wasn't for any sort of title or anything like that. It was clear that you really wanted to be a part of that world, right? What was it about that world that was attractive to you? I think a lot of people are intimidated by wine because, as you mentioned, it can be this really snobby, elitist thing. It existed that way for centuries. Mm -hmm. But that's not really how I first saw wine. I kind of saw it as this magical thing that combined so many of my passions. Of course, hospitality, but also the magic of wine and food pairings and bringing people together. And it was just you know, exhilarating for me that every single bottle, there was a story behind it of the farmers who made the wine of the centuries of tradition that went into it, all the crazy rules and laws. And it just felt as if, you know, for someone who wasn't able to travel as a kid, it felt like, wow, it's as if with every bottle, you can go on this adventure and travel to these faraway places. And it just seemed so wonderful. And I really wanted to be a part of this world. Quickly, I realized, though, that I didn't necessarily fit into this world. But you know what? The, the, the very heart of, of learning about wine is learning about the terroir, right? Like, you know, is it the amount of sunlight? Is it the type of fertilizer? Is it the soil? And what I love about your book, Wine Girl, is you take us through your own personal terroir. And you show parts of yourself that you're very vulnerable. You're very transparent, not only with a look in the sleazy side of the hospitality industry, but a look at some of the vulnerabilities 
vulnerabilities of, of growing up, where you did and how you did. And it all is part of the, of the end result, just like wine. And I think that that's something that you really get as a reader when you, when you read your book is a true understanding of everything that made you who you are. And if you had to explain your own terroir, how would you do that to a stranger? Well, I would say you could read the book, <laughs> but <laughs> yes. um, uh, now out in paperback. Uh, when someone tries to sell me a bottle of wine, you know, now I'm a wine buyer at a couple of restaurants. I can tell when they're bullshitting me, right? I can mm. tell when they're telling me this marketing story about how fancy and exotic this wine is. Mm. And I think that people have a good bullshit meter, right? They can tell when they're reading a story or listening to a person and it's not necessarily an honest, vulnerable story. Mm. And so it was really important for me that I didn't just highlight the fancy, cool parts of my life. I didn't shy away from things that in retrospect, and now that I reread the book, I'm like, wow, I can't believe I was that honest. That's very <laughs> uncomfortable. Oh, wow. Um, but let, let's talk about but... that. Let's talk about that. Because I think that's a really important part. And I think that that's why so many people have championed this book. And so many people are saying wonderful things about it is because you were so transparent, you talk about the realities of the hospitality industry and some sexual assault that happened while you were working your way up. Why was it important for you, first of all, to speak your truth and write it so vulnerably? Yeah, I think, you know, it's funny when I was writing the book, actually, uh, my editor was like, you know, at, at one point we have to cut out some of these bits. I mean, it's just too much. There's, it's, it's actually uh, overwhelming. And I, I don't think the reader is going to want to read all of this. And you know, wow. I think that's also kind of the point. Um, yeah. And believe it or not, we did cut out some bits uh, mm. also for length. But overall, I thought it was very, very important that I speak honestly about things that women all over the world go through. And, you know, unfortunately, I was raped when I was 15 by a complete stranger. And that was terrible. But probably most terrible was something that happened to me later in my career where someone who was supposed to be my mentor, mm -hmm. who was supposed to take care of me uh, professionally. He was my boss, you know, took advantage of me. And that was actually much, much harder. And I wanted to spell out those details because oftentimes when those stories have been told in the past, it's always the woman who is the slut or the woman who's sleeping her way to get to the top. Mm -hmm. And let me just tell you, if you could actually sleep your way to the top, there would be way more women on the top. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. And it's just really an insult that, you know, the patriarchy has really used for quite some time. And so I wanted to be honest about how it felt to be taken advantage of by your superior and to try so hard to fit into a world in which people are constantly trying to sexualize you and keep you on the margins. And so I, I had to be honest, I guess I didn't really have a choice. It wasn't really my story. After a year now of the book being out mm -hmm. and hundreds of women from all over the world telling me their stories, I realized mm. mine's unfortunately, not very special. Well, I think it's incredibly special because when you are able to tell your truth, you invite other people to be honest as well. And I think that that's what you've done. You met, you touched a little bit on the reaction that you've gotten from other women. Have you found that? Have you found that they have your story is their story and has really resonated with them? Yeah, from all industries. I mean, I have still to this day, women who are lawyers, bankers, uh, men too, that have messaged me and said these things have happened to them or loved ones. But one of the things I'm perhaps most proud of that came out of this book was 
women in the sommelier and hospitality industry reading it and saying, wow, these things happened to me mm. by these same people. And we all banded together and came out uh, in the New York Times in October and really changed our industry. And the court of master sommeliers, you know, we told them our stories of abuse and rape and sexism, and it completely changed the industry. The entire board was overturned. They have a new board now and new protocols are in place. So hopefully my book shows other women that our voice has power, especially when we come together. Yeah, putting light on a a dark situation and exposing it allows people who, who were in the dark, so to speak, to see what is actually happening and hopefully take action so that it doesn't happen again. You know, what's with the juxtaposition of what happened to you and the love that you still have for the industry was both apparent in the book. Yes. We'll have more on this conversation in just a minute. But first, thank you to our sponsors. To Dine For the podcast is brought to you by American National, offering a broad suite of insurance solutions to protect what matters most to you. There's a funny thing about most insurance commercials, whether they feature lizards or birds or funny cartoon characters. It seems like they want you to think about anything but insurance. American National, on the other hand, has real local agents who get to know you so they can help you reach better decisions about your insurance to make sure you're protecting what matters most to you. American National agents are part of your community. They're your neighbors. So whether it's solutions for your home, your small business, your farm, or your life, you can count on your local American National agent to make sure you get the discounts you deserve and the protection you need without paying for extras you don't. With American National, you get an ally, not just a web page. For a description of the American National companies, the products they write in the states in which they're licensed, visit AmericanNational.com dine. If you're like me, there are times when you want to feel like you're having a fancy cocktail, but you don't actually want the alcohol. So I love Kentucky 74 from Spiritless. It's a distilled, non-alcoholic spirit for your favorite bourbon cocktails, but with just 15 calories per serving and none of the guilt. You can pre-order your bottle today at spiritless.com. Use the promo code to dine for to get free shipping. Now back to our conversation. You know, not everyone really understands the concept of hospi- great hospitality. What does it mean to you? And why does it, why do you think it's so much a part of who you are? I think that giving good hospitality can be the most fulfilling thing. Mm. So, you know, when you find a way to give hospitality to your guests, to welcome them into your hearts, show them that love. In turn, you know, you feel fulfilled. You feel that love in return and it's almost addictive and, it's why I think people stay in the restaurant industry for so long because it, it's, you know, sometimes I think the restaurant industry is a, it's compared to performing or a play and there are certain things we do in front of the guests and things away from the guests. And I actually don't like that analogy because mm-hmm. I don't think it's real. I think that it's best when you're your real self in front of the guests, you're not putting on a show and the guests can tell. Yes, they definitely can. I think, um, <laughs> I think that, you know, like the, the word restaurant means to restore one's spirit. And I always feel like um, part of why I do the show to dine for, which is, you know, finding out people's favorite restaurant and then hearing their story is that restaurants really serve a, a purpose in our lives to, to, you know, everyone has bad days, right? And to be able to go in and to change someone's mood, if only for an hour, or to uh, I'll give them that respite that they need, it, it, it restores a part of you too, in a way. Totally. I think there is 
you cannot put a monetary value on the reward you get for unburdening your consciousness for mm -hmm. an hour or two. And I think in the last year, we've realized this is true more than ever. People were at home making sourdoughs and cooking for themselves for the zillionth time. Now people are starting to go back to restaurants and realize, wow, it's it's not the food or wine you particularly miss. I mean, you can get those things at home. You can even get them delivered. Mm -hmm. It's that restorative quality. You, you can't locate at home. Mm -hmm. And that is why restaurants have existed for centuries. I thought it was interesting that you said that your editor almost felt like your truth was was too much to bear. That must have been a really interesting conversation. What has been the most surprising part of writing this book and putting it out in the world? You know, there have been a lot of great things that have come from this book. It has also been very illuminating for me how much of oneself you can give and how much more you get in return. Mm. So I, this book came out, I was extremely nervous. I was actually slightly relieved that my international book tour was canceled because I didn't know if I wanted to stand up in a room full of hundreds of people and, and read some of these excerpts or, or talk about it. Sure. So I was actually kind of okay to be squirreled away. And um, then I was quite shocked by the reaction. I was hoping for something positive, of course, but I, thought that I had given so much of myself to this book for five years and it was exhausting and parts of it I, when I was writing I was crying and when I did the audiobook I, I ran to the restroom to throw up it was too much and so I thought that it would become too much when it came out uh, that they would start maybe these conversations that people were uncomfortable having and I was surprised by how much that was not true that these conversations were overdue and that it actually like a restaurant was more restorative than it took away. You really underscore the importance of bosses, good and bad. You tell the story, uh, several stories of bosses that are pretty eh, right? Or really <laughs> awful. And then you tell the story of a really great boss that, you know, reading the book and following along on your journey, and then to have you get a great boss, like I believe his name was Simon, am I right? Yes, yeah, still to, is. <laughs> to get, still is, great. To get, to hear the story of your blossoming with Simon, really did a couple of things. But can you talk a little bit about how that changed how you saw the industry when you were able to get someone who truly wanted to mentor you and truly wanted to help you grow? Yeah, Simon is, you know, still to this day, my boss, and, and he's just fantastic. You know, no human is perfect, for sure. And I'm certainly not. But when I met Simon, it really inspired me to be a better boss as well. And mm. I think that's what's so contagious about his spirit of positivity. And I still don't think I'm a perfect boss. <laughs> you can ask the people who work for me. I have many, many flaws, but I think wanting to be good is Simon's, one of his character traits I most admire, that he wants to be good and he wants to do right by his employees. And even if sometimes we fall short of that, it's the constant need or want to, to, to be that for your employees, it's really beautiful because then that translates to the guests and that translates to the success of the restaurant overall in many ways. And so for me, meeting him was so inspirational because it was like, okay, this is how I can change the industry by being a, a mentor to others. Mm -hmm. And so if you can, and you know, everyone can be a mentor in some way, you know, you don't have to be a boss. Simon always says, sometimes one plus one does not equal two. And so 
Simon plus I does not equal two. It equals so, so much more um, when you pour love into it. Oh, I love that. I, I really, really love that. You know, you are a sommelier and you are still work, you know, your work at co- Coat. Um, and you are, you're helping and assisting people every day with their wine selections. You're also a wine buyer, correct? Mm-hmm. What is next for you? What is your vision? What would you like to happen in your career? So I think the last year has made me realize that it's really important to focus on what we want and what we need and what's important to us, right? So we expanded to Miami, actually, and we opened up the second coat there. So I've just been back. It's been wonderful to kind of spread that message of hospitality to another state as well. So back at Coat New York now, our goal is to really kind of foster the relationships we currently have and build up our team again. You know, we've gone through five reiterations of closing and opening because of the pandemic. And so it means constantly hiring and bringing in new staff and constantly training. And and it's a lot. So it's really important for us that our flagship and all of our restaurants keep that quality of spirit. And so that's my main goal. And then of course, we're also restarting our wine empowered classes this year. So Mm. myself and two other female sommeliers, Cynthia Chang and Amy Zoe, started Wine Empowered, which is a 501c3 nonprofit that offers tuition-free education to women and persons of color in the industry, uh, which, as you can imagine, is so important. So hopefully have a graduating class shortly. Okay, that's amazing. I absolutely love that. And that is full circle for you because someone really kind of held your hand and got you into wine education. And so you're kind of paying it forward by, um, especially with the free, because I know you had to work very hard to get your wine education and it is expensive. So also, I'm really wondering... What would you say to a young woman who has a real passion for hospitality industry and is currently in a job that is less than fulfilling or or maybe even in a scenario like you were in where they felt really encumbered and felt like they couldn't move up? In a way, I guess I'm what I'm asking is what would you tell yourself five, <laughs> six, ten years ago? I think when I was at these fancy restaurants, you know, I was really enamored by the Michelin stars and the white tablecloths and the fancy little spoons. And I thought that I had to work at these places to further my career, that that's the only way I would be taken seriously as a woman in the industry. But I now realize that more important than any of that is a healthy working environment. Mm. And I would never recommend anyone work somewhere where they don't feel safe, comfortable, or even in which they don't see that there's any growth or they feel any of that spirit. So I wish I would have left those types of places sooner. Mm -hmm. Um, And I wish I would have surrounded myself with healthy people and, you know, good spirits. But uh, I certainly learned my lesson. And that would be my advice to surround yourself with good people in a healthy environment. When you think of, you know, I always feel like everybody has a superpower, whether they have recognized it themselves or not. When I read your book, I thought your true curiosity led your growth. And it was you put you put it on yourself to learn. No one put that on you. No one said, oh, you need to learn this to advance. You took it upon yourself. And that allowed you to keep climbing and reaching and expanding. What do you think your superpower is? <laughs> they say that whenever you're, not, you're reading a book or a novel, that the secondary characters are always there to show you who the primary character is. And, mm. and you learn a bit about them. And I think that for me, that might be true, but maybe my superpower is being able 
to put myself now after realizing what a bad situation is, surround myself with good people. And I think that is so invaluable because we waste so much time in our lives in situations with people who don't bring value or goodness to our life, who don't challenge us and try and make us better people, mm. who don't tell it to us like it is and point out our flaws and, and, and you know, make us be better. So I think that is just so crucial. And that's something I push myself to do all the time. Mm. Uh, so, well, that's good. <laughs> yeah. Be really conscious of who's around you. And if you're in a situation where you don't like who's around you to change it quickly, if yeah. you can. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, we get, we all get, get hampered down by, by certain people and we get wrapped up in these relationships that can become quite toxic. And sometimes it's hard to recognize when you're in it, right. In the thick of it. So it's, it takes, it helps to take that step back and to have some perspective. And also knowing your worth. I think your book is, it is certainly a coming of age story, but it's also a story you can actually feel you becoming more comfortable in your own skin and more aware of your own worth. Yeah, I think that oftentimes women aren't given that superpower, right? We're not told how amazing we are as beings and, you know, how we are worth so much more than the world gives us credit for. Mm. Um, so it took some time for me to, to really realize that, especially after years of abuse. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, hopefully everyone's coming of age story, they eventually uh, come to that realization. Well, Victoria James, thank you so much. Your your book is a very satisfying read. You At the end of the book, you realize that um, even though you went through such difficult times, that you are the hero of your own story. And I look forward to coming to Cote in New York or Miami and uh, raising a glass to you in person someday. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to To Dine For The Podcast. For more information on the show, the guests, and the podcast, head to todinefortv.com. You can find us on Instagram at todinefortv and Facebook at todinefor with Kate Sullivan. Thanks to the sponsors of To Dine For The Podcast, American National and Spiritless. Special thank you to producer and sound editor John Golner. To the loyal followers of this program, cheers, stay hungry, and stay inspired. I'll see you back at the table soon. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.